This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 14th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. China's advance toward free markets is still not well understood. Ning Wong is a senior fellow at the Ronald Coase Institute and co-author with Coase of the book How China Became Capitalist. He says China's continued development will depend critically on freedom of association, freedom of communication, and humility about the factors that create sustainable growth. We spoke last week. One of the great stories of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century is that in countries like China and India, I mean, just in those two countries, you have had hundreds of millions of people who have been removed from the, the deepest depths of poverty. And, and so many more people have moved into a, a thriving middle class in those countries. Uh, earning, you know, good salaries, able to support families and uh, make investments. What does that show the triumph of, and what do people argue about uh, when it comes to uh, how to, how that happened? Obviously, here at the Cato Institute and more generally on the free market side, we say, well, it's obviously markets. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think people here uh, in the United States. Uh, I mean, for good reasons, you know, possessed with this, you know, debates between different political parties here, and forget the the big picture, which you just you know referred to, that hundreds of millions of people be be able to rise up from poverty, and uh, this is an ongoing story. Uh, since we, I mean, people here have long passed that stage of development, uh, we and we take everything. A lot of things for granted, uh, including the free market. Uh, and now people in China and in India and elsewhere uh, have gradually seen and benefited from the expansion of market, uh, the globalization of the economy, the free trade. And uh, that, I think, is the main reason why China was able to transform itself uh, rather quickly from a centrally planned economy to a market economy. Uh, the same reason for India to be able to uh, grow its economy at relatively you know, fast speed uh, in the past uh, 30, 40 years. Would you say then that uh, the move through the various sort of stages of industrial development that China has uh, engaged in recently uh, has just been the fact that there are so many other countries that have already done that and that there was a roadmap to do that more easily? Um, I, I don't know whether there are so many countries that have already been, you know, have gone through industrial revolution. Certainly all the, most countries in the West, but, you know, in terms of population, that's a minority, you know, in a global perspective. Uh, China and India combined, I don't know, one-third more than, you know, human global population. So their well-being is critical, uh, or the improvement of their well-being is critical for understand, you know, human progress. Uh, and certainly, um, I mean, China was a socialist country, still is run by, you know, Communist Party. India was a democracy for a long time, still is. Uh, but in terms of the economic policy before they you know, started reform, both embraced 
planned economy, socialism, basically. And actually, at that time, they got that idea from Britain, from the West. And Marxism was born here in the West. I'm not in the state, but in, in Europe. So uh, whether, so um, of course, I mean, if we go back to the history, I mean, China had long uh, history of free commerce, uh, not free in our modern sense, but relatively free so that China could, uh, was more developed in, than the West, you know, before the rise of the West in modern era. And China now, uh, I think, uh, this is some kind of, a, I think, maybe misperception that China copied in the Western model to become a market economy. Uh, there's some elements, some truth in that description, but I think we have, we don't need to, we have to recognize that China also has a long tradition of free, uh, relatively free commerce. Uh, so that part of Chinese history right now, uh, I think that's why China talking about this cultural renaissance, uh, coming back to its old tradition of freedom, of uh, uh, very limited government, and you know Taoism and so on and so forth. We here, at least, uh, this is the the interpretation that that. I've heard, and I think you have a different one, which is uh, we've heard that the market reforms that began in the 1970s in China were this clearly thought out set of ideas that were, we've assembled them, this is where we're going, this is where we're, this is what we're going to do. We said we did, we're going to do it. And now we've done it, or we are on our way to doing it. And that's sort of the story that you hear about the development in China over the last 40 years. Right, right. So, so give, us, give me your sense of, of how accurate that is. That's very common uh, narrative of what happened in China in the past 40 years. Uh, we call it statist narrative of China's market transformation. Uh, the funny thing is, if you go back to uh, the Chinese government documents in the 70s, even early 80s, uh, you couldn't find anything like that. And at that time, the Chinese government said, you know, our economy had been so bad, we need reform, but we really don't know what to do, where to go. So we have to let people find that out by themselves. We have to give more freedom to local governments let them try different ways to see which way is going to work. So you're saying that, that it was more of a, a humility yes. of, of understanding what development requires uh, as opposed to socialism where the, the state generally makes key decisions. Right, right. So why is that not what we hear in the United States about China's development? Well, for, for, a couple of reasons, for a couple of reasons, I think it's very understandable for the Chinese government, you know, still uh, uh, monopolize political power, I mean, the, 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 for the party, to legitimize itself, right? So we have done this. This is a great achievement. So give, give me the credit. I mean, politicians do politicians that all do the that. time. Exactly. No matter if it's in China or here in the States. The thing... Why that kind of story easily picked up here in the States is, well, China is run by a Communist Party. 
I mean, it must be the case. They, the party done everything. Um, actually, even in China, there are competing views of where, why China was able to, you know, come to this stage. And there are many market-oriented economists and their interpretation um, of China's, uh, why China, you know, be able to transform itself in such a, a short time period is exactly because the, the, the miracle of the market and um, uh, the decentralization uh, of, the, of the political system and the economic system and allow local governments to compete. And once local government to, uh, had to compete, they gradually behave like a private firms instead of government bureaucracy. And unfortunately, today, many local governments um, or the central government had, uh, has recently recentralized, taking away a lot of their autonomy from the local uh, government. And uh, so China, I mean, it's understandable that reform always, you know, have this up and downs. Uh, but I think in general, the Chinese people know that the, the, the freedom, um, the, the market generated the freedom, that's the um, guarantee for uh, economic success. So you write in your book with uh, Ronald Coase, as remarkable as the Chinese market transformation is, capitalism with Chinese characteristics is impoverished by the lack of a free market for ideas. This deficiency has become the most restrictive bottleneck in China's economic and social development. Ever since the start of economic reform, the Chinese government has been persistently calling for the emancipation of the mind, but nothing is more effective than an active market for ideas in freeing people's minds. Indeed, without this, any emancipation of the mind is doomed. So you're drawing this, this relationship between freedom of speech, freedom of communication, freedom of association with economic development. So what is that relationship? Well, that relationship should be straightforward, but somehow is clouded by a lot of misperceptions. Um, not just economic growth, and the, I think human progress in general is driven by the growth of knowledge. You cannot possibly have growth in knowledge if people or members of the society cannot don't have the freedom to, to create new ideas, to communicate with members of their new ideas, to debate and uh, criticize new ideas to make them even better. And China, if one example is uh, high, uh, uh, universities. This should be the place where new ideas uh, come up, you know, uh, created, debated, criticized, improved, and spread out to the society. But Chinese universities run today as like uh, uh, closely uh, restricted, uh, controlled by the Department of, uh, of Education. Uh, the, the department, that's of course government bureaucracy, tells university, appointed university presidents and tell them what to teach to students, what should not teach, what kind of textbook you should use, what kind of textbook you should not use. So. The professors don't have the freedom to teach students what they think is the truth, but rather have to abide by rules, uh, very complicated uh, rules, what to, to do, what not to do in classrooms. So creativity is more difficult? 
is yeah. I mean that that you China now invest a lot of money in higher education, but the return uh, in terms of knowledge created is 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 minimal. And I think this is not something the Chinese government uh, wanted to see. So we don't want to. I think it's not here. We tend to paint the Chinese government as some kind of enemy of the uh, of, you know market for ideas. Uh, right now, is the, the, the government is kind of uh, uh, un- has undermined the free market for ideas. But the, the reason is not. I think mainly is the ignorance. They don't understand that a free market for ideas is critical for growth of knowledge, which is critical for development. Not only for development in the economic, narrowly economic domain, but in human progress in general. So the market for ideas can benefit human uh, society, including its government. Uh, and I don't think any government can sustain long in the office without a free uh, market for ideas. Ning Wong is co-author with Ronald Coase of How China Became Capitalist. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.